Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Scumbags, this is the Scummy Mummies Podcast, with your hosts, Ellie Gibson and Helen Thorne. Hello and welcome to the Scummy Mummies Podcast. It's me, Helen Thorne. And it's me, Ellie Gibson. And we've got a guest today, Ellie. We always have a guest for Un- most of the episodes, that's the format, mate, yes. Yes, unbelievably, but it's a really good guest this time. Yes. <laughs> what do you mean this time? <laughs> You've just insulted 244 people. Oh, my God. This time it's good. No, I mean, because he's an international best-selling author. We've had loads of those on the podcast, Helen. Jesus. The build I'm up so is, sorry. The build-up is unbearable. And oh. so, is, so is this introduction. I'd like to apologise to Laura Kemp. I'd like to apologise <laughs> to all these people. Oh, God. Carry on. It's, it's Johan Hari. Hey! Or Johan Hari. That's really good. What I like about that, listen, we'll get to you in a minute, Johan, don't worry, is that we actually also practice saying his name, didn't yeah. we? I asked you very politely, Johan, how to say your name before the thing, and you still fucked it, mate. Yeah. You fucked it less than most people do. I was oh. saying to you before, I once waited for six hours with a broken arm in casualty because they were calling for Joanna Harry to come forward, so <laughs> it's fine. Well, yeah. if, if that's not your drag name, I don't know what you're doing with that. Honestly, honestly, welcome, Johan, to the podcast. Well, thank you very much. I'm very chuffed to be here. Oh, we're, we're very honoured to have you. Now, we, you've written loads of excellent books, but we're here to talk about your latest one. Isn't that right? Now, I've got a, I'm have got. i going to start with a confession. We usually end with a confession. I'm going to start with one. Um, I bought this copy that I'm holding now, this hardback copy of your book, which is now in paperback, which we'll get to, uh, Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention. I bought it at the airport when I was going on holiday to Florida in April um, and I finished it yesterday <laughs> on January the 12th because you were coming on the podcast and do you know why because I can't fucking pay attention unbelievable but true <laughs> but listener because you can't see obviously because it's audio look at the flags look at oh. look at the detail there Ellie can you talk there's different coloured flags you put there is there is there a, is there a system there um yes the, the system is I pick whichever one comes out first out of the pack. Oh, I see. Oh, that's no, a I, system. I read a lot of this in the uh, in the jacuzzi at the gym, so mm-hmm. I had the coloured flags on the oh. side, and they were a bit soggy, so it was whichever one was peeling off. <laughs> Excellent. Now, I don't want to imply that it took me this long to read your book because it's shit, because it's, <laughs> it's really excellent, and I have read it cover to cover, and it is... It is Brilliant. Um, but yes, I mean, that's what the, the irony did did occur to me. That's because that's what the book is about, isn't it? Why we can't finish a fucking book these days. Yeah, it's part of it. I mean, we're living in a huge attention crisis. The average office worker now focuses on only one task for only three minutes. And for every one child who was identified with serious attention problems when I was seven years old, there's now a hundred children who've been identified with that problem. And I wrote the book, I, I guess, for two reasons. One is that I could feel it happening to me, right? I could feel that Things that are so important to me, like watching films, reading books, having proper long conversations, were getting more and more like running up a down escalator. Do you know I mean, I could still do it, but it was getting harder and harder. But that wasn't enough to make me write the book, partly because I thought, well, the explanation's obvious. There's just something wrong with me. I'm not strong enough. My willpower isn't strong enough. And it was actually something more... Uh, painful that made me write it I also realized that that what that story I had in my head about my willpower wasn't right I've got a godson um and when he was nine 
he developed this brief but incredibly intense obsession with Elvis Presley and it was so cute because he appeared to genuinely not know that impersonating Elvis had become a kind of cheesy cliche. So I think he was the last person in the history of the world to do an entirely sincere impression of Elvis doing Jailhouse Rock. Oh, it's what he would have wanted. And and every night when I would tuck him into bed, he would get me to tell him the story of Elvis's life over and over again. Obviously, I skipped over the bit at the end where he shit himself to death on the toilet. And... (laughs) And one and one night I mentioned Graceland where Elvis lived and I said that people go and visit it and his whole face lit up and he said, Johan, will you take me to Graceland one day? <gasps> and I said, of course I will, the way you do with nine-year-olds. No, next mm-hmm. week it'll yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. Well, any plan. good Paul Simon so, fan would. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Just like, yeah, whatever. You know, next week you'll want to go to Disneyland or whatever. And he said, no, do you really swear one day you will take me to Graceland? And I said, I absolutely promise and I didn't think of that moment again for 10 years until just loads of things had gone wrong. So he, he dropped out of school when he was 15. And by the time he was 19, this will sound like an exaggeration, it's not. He spent literally almost all his waking hours alternating between his iPad, his iPhone and his laptop. And his life was just this kind of blur of WhatsApp, YouTube, porn. And And it felt like he was whirring at the speed of Snapchat, right? It felt like nothing still or serious could get through to him. And one day we were sitting on my sofa here in London, in North London, which feels like a million miles away, we're in South London. I was sitting there um, and all day I was trying to get a conversation going with him and I just couldn't, right? I just literally couldn't. It was like, he's very intelligent and it was like nothing could get through. And to be totally honest with you both, I wasn't that much better, right? Mm. I was sitting there staring at my own devices. And I suddenly remembered this moment all these years before. And I said to him, this is no way to live. Let's go to Graceland. And he looked at me completely blankly, didn't remember it. And I reminded him. And I said, you know what? Let's go on a big road trip all over the South. Let's break this numbing routine. But you've got to promise me one thing, which is that if we go, you'll leave your phone in the hotel during the day. Because there's no point going. I'm just going to look at Snapchat the whole time. And he really thought about it. And he said, I don't like living like this either. And he promised, he made the promise that's what he would do. And I think it was literally, it was maybe two, maybe three weeks later that we took off to, we went to New Orleans first. Yeah, amazing. And a couple of weeks after we got to New Orleans, we got to the gates of Graceland, right? And um, this is even before COVID. When you get there, there's no one to show you around. What happens is they hand you an iPad and you put in earbuds and the iPad shows you around. It says, go left, go right. It tells you a story about whatever room you're in. And every room you go in, there's an image of that room on the iPad in front of you. So we're walking around. I get a little bit tense because it's it's weird. The effect, what it, what it means is everyone just walks around Graceland staring at the iPad. And I'm getting a little bit tetchy. And we got to the jungle room that was Elvis's favourite room in Graceland. It's got loads of fake plants in it. And I'll never forget them. There was a Canadian couple who were about uh, maybe early 50s. He was standing next to us and the man turned to his wife and said, honey, this is amazing. Look, if you swipe left, you can see the jungle room to the left. (laughs) And if you swipe right, you can see the jungle room to the right. And like you guys just did, I laughed. I was like, that's a funny joke. (laughs) Dude. And I turned and looked at them and they were just swiping back and forth. And I I leaned over and I said, but hey, sir, there's um, an old fashioned form of swiping you could do. It's it's called turning your head. (laughs) You realise we're in the jungle room. You don't yeah. have to look at it on the internet. Yeah. It's literally all around you. Yeah. And they looked at me like I I was deranged. Yeah. And they backed out the room and I turned to my my godson to laugh about it. And he was standing in the corner staring at Snapchat because from the moment we landed, mm. he literally couldn't stop. Mm. And I went up with him to him and I did that thing that's never a good idea with teenagers. I tried to grab the phone out of his hand. And I said to him, look, I know you're afraid of missing out. But this shit is guaranteeing that you'll miss out. Mm. You're not present at the events of your own life. You're not showing up at the events of your own existence. This is no way to live. And he stormed off, understandably. And I I wandered around Memphis on my own that day. And I I found him that night in the Heartbreak Hotel where we were staying up the street. And he was sitting by the huge guitar-shaped swimming pool uh, looking at Snapchat. And I went up to him and I apologised for getting so angry. And he didn't look up from Snapchat, but he said... I know something's really wrong and I don't know what it is. And I suddenly realised, oh, we came away to get away from this problem of distraction. 
but there was nowhere to escape to mm. because it's everywhere. It's the air we breathe. And that was when I thought, okay, I need to really, you know, use my training in the social sciences at Cambridge University to really figure out what's causing this crisis and what can we do about it. Mm. And, and, and how we got here as well. Your book talks a lot about how this is something that has been deliberately done to us. And I was especially interested because you talk about another book called Indistractable that I've also read by Nir Ayal, who who is a a tech person himself. And he talks about how, you know, the tech companies, yes, all right, they've designed all these things to hook us in and reel us in and keep us hooked and, you know, push all this stuff out to us. Um, But we can just turn it off. We can just turn off the notifications and all that. And you're saying that's not really good enough as as it's not really good enough to put it on us as individuals to take responsibility for this. Well, so the way I tried to make sense of what's going on is I ended up going on this really big journey all over the world from Miami to Moscow to your hometown of Melbourne to interview over 200 of the leading experts in the world on attention and focus. And what I learned is there's actually scientific evidence for 12 factors that can make your attention better or can make it worse. Some of them are in our technology. It's not all our technology. Uh, some of them are things I'd never even thought about. The way we eat is really affecting our attention and focus. The way our kids' schools work is really affecting their attention and focus. There's a huge range of factors, 12 of them. Um, But crucially, you know, the book is called Stolen Focus because your attention didn't collapse. Your attention has been stolen from you by these really big forces. So if you're struggling to focus and pay attention, or if your child is, there's nothing wrong with you, there's nothing wrong with your child, there's something wrong with the environment, right? And we can begin to put that right. But in terms of how we deal with it, all of these... 12 factors that are damaging our attention and focus, there's two levels at which we've got to deal with them. I think of them as defence and offence. There are loads of things we can do to defend ourselves and our children at an individual level right now. And I go through dozens of them in the book. I'll give you an example of one. I should have brought it with me. Um, I've got a home plastic safe. It's called a K-safe. I should totally have bought shares in this company before my book <laughs> came out because they've like, skyrocketed since. But it's a plastic safe. You're an safe. influencer. <laughs> yeah. it's, um... Go on, they're tossers, as we know. Oh, <laughs> absolute whores for attention. Exactly, yes. I'll do anything for it. The, um, <laughs> it, it. It's a plastic safe. You take off the lid, you put in your phone, you put on the lid, you turn the dial, and it locks your phone away for anything between five minutes and a whole day. Everyone with children, I really recommend you all have like half an hour a day where you all imprison your phones, mm. right? Um, I won't sit down to watch a film with my partner unless we all put our phones in the phone jail. What have my friends around for dinner unless everyone agrees to imprison their phones? And I was oh, saying, that's, oh, oh, that's oh, good. Oh, that's oh, 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 I'm going to do that to you. I'm going to do that to you. That's going to Would it be torture for you? Yeah, I was going to talk to you about about that because. I loved in your book you talked to, um, who's the wonderful woman who, about the grow? Um, oh, Lenore Skenazi. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so when I grew up, I grew up in country Australia. I did a different sport every night. I could go off on my bike for as long as I liked. And I had all the freedoms that she says is really good for attention, right? And so, I, I, and, and I was feeling really good about this. I thought, oh gosh, you know, um, here, here was this beautiful childhood in terms of freedom. And, you know, I remember days you know, making up games in the back garden, all that sort of thing. And I think how different it is for my children. But how different my life is now and my my addiction to my phone, addiction to apps, how much time I spend on all that sort of thing. And it's interesting that how how I have been transformed by the way the world has been transformed, but also my own choices yeah of course and and i'm and i and i'm not um yeah i'm not proud of them but i'm very aware of them well this is why i think we have to think about it in these two levels right so yeah. there's the defense right yeah. things like the case safe i'm going through loads of other examples of things that you can do at an individual level um yeah can you can you give us a quick fire shit we can do because i think i think all everyone yeah. listening to this podcast you know, both parents and then, you know, themselves, but also they And then happy people, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I think, I think we're all frightened about what, what's in store for our kids, I think. You know? Yeah, I'll give you an example of some absolutely immediate quick things that you can do and then, um, and obviously go through lots more in the book. But, so, buy a K-Safe. Buy it now, it's 50 quid, it's the best 50 quid you'll spend. It, you know, and I was a secondly... It's partly about thinking about the value of attention. I'll come back to other practical things in a second. I would say to anyone listening, 
Think about anything you've ever achieved in your life that you're proud of, whether it's starting a business, being a good parent, learning to play the guitar, whatever it is. That thing that you're proud of required a huge amount of sustained focus and attention. Well, right? I was thinking drunk river dance, actually. And I'm not <laughs> sure that, that, that might be... I might have found the one exception to your rule, but do... No, carry river on. dance, but you Jesus, can, you, that requires massive attention. She gets so much seen attention. It. I've seen it. You just get a lot of attention. You, the heads no, turn instantly. I refuse to accept that you can do a river dance without deep focus. Um, but, but whatever that thing that you're proud of is, um, it required attention and focus, right? And when your ability to focus and pay attention breaks down, the scientific evidence is really clear, your ability to solve your problems diminishes. Your ability to achieve your goals diminishes. You feel worse about yourself because you actually are less competent. When you start to get your attention back, when people say, people come around and go, I don't want to put my phone in the phone bin, right? I don't want to do it. And I always say to them, you know, I do it in a very compassionate situation because they're where I was when I started working on the book. First thing I say, we did, they're my age. I'm 44 in a few days. Oh, so uh, baby face. (laughs) I won't hear of it. It's because he doesn't have kids. (laughs) So true. uh, If I have one week of looking after my nephews, I suddenly look like 90. But the... um, No, I said to them, you know, we did spend half our lives, the first half of our lives, you know, you went out and people couldn't really contact you. It's, you're not, you know, you're not Joe Biden. You don't need to give orders. I have had that conversation with people of a younger generation when I go, oh, I didn't have a mobile phone at university. And they look at you like you're mad, like you're a time traveller. And you're like, yeah. (laughs) And we had one phone in my hall of residence for like 14 girls on my corridor. And they're like, but how did you arrange to meet people? And I go, well, like you bump into someone on Tuesday and you'd say, do you want to meet for a coffee there at 11 on Thursday? And they'd go, yeah. And then you turn up and drink the coffee. Like, that's just what and, we and did. And if they weren't there, you just went home. Yeah. <laughs> they just weren't there. Right? And I go, oh, yeah. oh, well, hope they're not dead. Yeah. 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 And there's lots of things that are better now. This is not an anti-tech argument at all. I mean, come back to that. But the... the so in terms of very practical things, um, once you're aware of the value of attention, which I think we need to really deeply think about, um, I would say, everyone, install an app called Freedom on your laptop and your phone. It's very simple. I think it costs, like five pounds a month or something and it will shut you off either from specific websites so let's say you were addicted to instagram amazon whatever it might be you can say tinder for example <laughs> that we'll get to that we'll get to that <laughs> you're gonna be like don't don't let me go on this website for anything between five minutes and a whole day or it can cut you off from the entire internet for a whole day right so that's one thing another thing um it was one of the most surprising things of the 12 causes that i write about for me which is that the way we eat is profoundly affecting our ability to focus and pay attention. And this is very personal for me. One of my, <laughs> one of my saddest memories in life is Christmas Eve 2009. I went to my local KFC in Bethnal Green. Um, and I, I went, it was lunchtime, and I went in and I said my normal order, which is so disgusting, I won't even repeat it. No, and, say it, say and it. The, uh, Ellie's, Ellie, you say zing, your... I'm going to guess, Zinger Tower Burger, is it, with extra no, gravy? It was four chicken drumsticks and a large fries. That was my... That's, that's, that's disgusting. That's disgusting. Superb, no, no. standard. Well, I usually like a Philip Burger and just then a piece, a one piece to snack on. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, when I went in, the, the guy behind the counter said, oh, Johan, I'm really glad you're here. And I was like, all right. He said, wait a minute. And he went off behind... <laughs> where they fry all the chicken and everything. And he came back with the other two people who were on staff that day and a fucking massive Christmas card in which they'd written to our best customer. Oh, my God! Oh God. Everyone who worked there had written little personal... Oh. And one of the reasons my heart sank is I thought, this isn't even the fried chicken shop I come to the most. <laughs> How can this Sorry. be happening to me? It was, And then I stopped going to that KFC because I was so horrified. Oh, and about shame. two years later, no. I bumped into that guy, Danny, and he said, oh, Johan, you never came back. We just assumed you'd had a heart attack. <laughs> So, I don't say this with any sense of superiority, what I'm about to say about food, but there's this really fascinating new scientific movement called Nutritional Psychiatry, um, which looks at how what we eat affects um, our mental states, and our mental capacities and abilities, right? So I interviewed loads of these nutritional psychiatrists and did a lot of research on their, their work, and it's fascinating. So there's loads of things they discovered, but I'll just give you one that's very personal. So let's say in the morning you have a standard... British breakfast, right? You have um, um, buttered white bread with toast or you have sugary cereal. Mm -hmm. What that does is it releases a huge amount of energy really quickly into your brain. It releases a lot of glucose and it feels great. You're like, whoa, I'm awake. I'm ready for the day. But what will happen is it's it's released so much energy so fast 
that you'll get to your desk a couple of hours later or your child will get to their school desk and you get a huge energy slump. Mm. And when your glucose levels and your energy slump, you get brain fog where you just can't think very clearly until you have another sugary, carby treat, right? So the way Dale Pinnock, one of the leading nutritionists in Britain, put it to me is the way we eat puts us on a roller coaster of energy spikes and energy crashes throughout the day, which leaves us with these quite long patches of poor attention. Whereas if you eat for breakfast, for example, uh, porridge with blueberries, that releases energy much more steadily. You'll be much less likely to, um, well, you won't experience brain fog caused by your diet. Um, so there's loads of these personal pieces of advice that I give, but I want to be really careful about this because I don't want to be like Nir Eyal, the guy you mentioned before. I want to level with people because I don't feel most people who talk about attention are being honest, right? Mm. I am passionately in favour of these individual changes. They'll really help. They'll boost your life. They'll, they'll help your kids. On their own, they won't solve the problem mm. because they'll help, but they won't solve it. Because the truth is, at the moment, it's like someone is pouring itching powder over us all day and then leaning forward and going, oh, mate. Uh, you should learn to meditate, then you wouldn't scratch so much. And you want to go, fuck off. I'll learn to meditate, that's really valuable, but you need to stop pouring this itching powder on me, right? You need to stop doing this to me. I just we- started scratching my leg. But we're, exactly, because we're not having an attention crisis because we all individually failed to do these things, right? Mm. We're having an attention crisis because there are very big and powerful forces weighing on us. But we can take on those forces. And I went to places from France to New Zealand to Long Island. So you brought up one before, right? So one of the big changes that's happened is there's been a, a profound transformation of childhood. Mm. In, in, in really in our lifetimes, right? So one of the heroes of my book is a woman you mentioned called Lenore Skenazi. She's not the hero because she identified the problem. Identifying problems is easy. Mm. She's the hero because she identified a big part of the solution when it comes to kids. Not the only thing. There's lots of things we've got to do, but it's, I think it's a significant one. So when Lenore grew up in a suburb of Chicago in the 1960s, and from when she was six years old, Lenore left school, left home every day at eight o'clock in the morning to walk to school on her own. And she would generally bump into all the other kids walking to school because in her neighbourhood, and indeed everywhere in the world, all children walked to school in the mid-1960s, right? Virtually all. And then when school ended, the kids would leave on their own, wander around the neighbourhood for a few hours and go home when they were hungry. They'd play freely with the other kids without any adults watching over them. And by the time Lenore got to be a mother, uh, she was in the 90s, she was living in Queens in New York, that had ended you were expected to deliver your child to the school gate and be there waiting when they came out and supervise them pretty much all the time. In fact, by 2003, only 10% of children ever played outside without an adult, right? And it turns out, and then of course during COVID, it, that completely ended. So it turns out that childhood we've lost, which was all of human childhood for all of the history of our species until like the last 40 mm. years, mm contained loads of things that were really important for kids to develop the ability to focus fully and pay attention. One is a real no-shit Sherlock one, exercise. Mm. The single best thing you can do for children to boost their attention is let them run around, right? Professor Joel Nigg, the leading expert on children's attention problems in the world, talked to me about how when you exercise, when kit, particularly for children, they gain more neurons, their attention is much better, right? We are the first human society ever to try to get children to sit still all day. No one's ever done it before, right? Um, so one is exercise, but there's one that's even more important. There's lots, but I'll just, I don't go through everything. Um, which is that when children play freely with other children, without an adult standing over them, mm. saying, no, Johnny, don't do that. No, Johnny, put that down. No, the rules of the game are this, right? When they just play freely with each other, they learn all sorts of skills that are really essential for attention. And one of them is how to cope with setbacks and anxiety. Mm. So when children play with each other, they get things wrong. They make mistakes. You climb the tree, you go a bit too high, you feel really anxious, but you get down, you didn't die. Okay, you know that you can cope with challenges. You develop a sense that you are a competent person who can act in the world by facing small challenges with other children around you, without an authority figure making it all okay. Mm. And those small challenges mean that you don't become a nervous wreck because you develop a sense that you're competent, right? If you take that away from children, they become much more anxious 
And anxiety just nukes attention for all sorts of obvious reasons, right? So Lenore was learning the science of this and lots of other scientific evidence about how this change in childhood has harmed attention. And at first she thought, well, the solution's obvious here. I'll just let my kids go out and play. But she soon discovered if you're the only parent doing it, mm. you look mental, the kids get scared. Actually, in the US, people call the police, right? So she's like, that's not going to work. What can I do? So she came up with a, a really fascinating um, program. She runs a group called Let Grow. I really recommend everyone listening goes to it. It's letgrow.org. And what Let Grow do is they go to whole schools and whole communities and they persuade everyone to give their kids increasing levels of independence that build up to playing outside, right? Mm. And of all, the, so the whole community start to restore childhood. And one of the most moving conversations of all the hundreds of people I talked to for the book, one of the most moving conversations, I think, was in, in Long Island. Um, I met a 14-year-old boy who was part of a Let Grow program. And he'd been in it for nine months until the program had begun. This was a really tall, strapping 14-year-old boy. Until this program had begun, he had never been out of his house on his own without an adult, Right. Um, I said to him, why? And he said, oh, my parents are afraid of all these kidnappings. Mm. He lives in a town in Long Island where the olive oil store is across the street from the French bakery. Mm. And he had a level of fear that would be appropriate if he lived in like Pablo Escobar's Colombia, right? But then this program began and he started to play outside. And I said, oh, what did you do? And he said, oh, me and my friends, we started to play ball games in the street. And then he said, he leaned forward and he said, um, and we started to go into the woods, even though our phones don't have any reception in it. <laughs> and he said that like he told me he'd, you know, stolen the Mona Lisa oh or something. God. Yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, what did you do in the woods? And he said, oh, we built a castle and now we're building a fort. And when he, when he said that, it was like watching a child come to life, right? Mm. It was a child getting a sense that they were competent and could do things. Mm. Um, and I thought about how many kids I know who never get to explore anything except on Fortnite, hardly be surprised they're so obsessed with it. But Lenore was with me that day. And when, when the boy left, she turned to me and she said, think about all of human history, right? For all of human history, young people had to go out and explore. They had to map things. They had to figure out how things worked. Mm. And in the space of really what, one, two generations, we just took that all away from them. And that boy, given a tiny little sliver of freedom, mm. what did he do? He went into the woods and he built a fort because this is so deep in human nature. So now that's a change that, you can't do it as an isolated individual parent, but you can do with other people around you, right? That was a bit of the book that I read, and I thought, oh, uh, because yes, you're, you're. I agree with you in terms of everything you're saying about historically, we used to let kids go off on their own more, and and I, you know, I get that in terms of like murderers and kidnappers, actually, that is statistically very. I think you say you're three times more likely to get struck by lightning yeah. and get um, abducted, but at the same time, a lot of children did like drown or get broken legs or fall in ditches and things like that and also the the world has changed like where i live in southeast london i i'm not comfortable letting them play on the street because there's a high chance they'll get run over <laughs> because cars come whizzing down this road and you know and also there's a crap den up there and a bloke who goes to the crap den who lives down there so he walks up and down the road about six times a day and he's probably harmless and it's fine at the same time wouldn't feel super happy about my son being out on that street all I think day. Un- I think that's understandable, and that's why I think if if they were sur- if your son was surrounded by other kids who were also out playing, and also mm. I totally agree with you about cars. That's why the street I live on, uh, when I'm in Britain, uh, we've got now a. Um, car-free hours where cars can't come into our street um, and you can do that it's, you can apply lots to of, do it lots of streets in this yeah. um, in uh, South East London now have like play days you know, exactly so they have a Sunday and everyone goes out they, everyone takes a cup of tea and have a chat and, and exactly. also there's that, that interaction where you go oh there's you know Maria down the road or whatever um, exactly but children yeah. are in much less danger now than they were in the past right and that's not because we've shut children away murder rates have never been lower and they're lower for adults as well and adults still go about so it's not because we hide mm. our children away in fact murder rates have historically never been lower than they are in, in Britain um, our children are unbelievably safe if you know if someone said to you like like you said your child is three times more likely to be hit by lightning than than um, than uh, kidnapped and murdered that um, if someone said to you, I'm not going to let my kid go out because I'm worried they might be hit by lightning, we, mm. we'd think they've lost their mind. But Lenore's, very, Lenore's really insightful about this because it doesn't, explaining statistics to people doesn't work, right? It doesn't work for me, right? 
if explaining statistics worked, no one would play the lottery and Las Vegas would be an empty city in the desert, right? <laughs> That's not what works. What works, she said, is that feeling that parents get when they see their child go out and they're shitting themselves and the child comes back and he's a little bit breathless and he's taken a risk and, he, and they see that their child is competent and they get a kind of moment where they're like, that's my boy. My kid can do so much more than I thought. And um, so, yeah, I think it's about collective changes that would make you comfortable, right? I agree. In a situation where cars are whizzing down your road, it w- you, there's a real risk to your child. So I would fight for, A, good public transport so we have less cars, mm. but B, let, play, you know, play days. Uh, my road, every day from, I think it's, whatever it is, three to five, cars can't come in it. There's all sorts of things we can do. Um and I think having this wider, wider, um, the let grow approach where whole communities are doing it, it, you're right, it doesn't work as an individual thing. It's too risky. But doing it collectively as a community does have an incredibly transformative effect. And also parents, I saw this speaking to so many parents in let grow programs, they make each other braver because they're yeah. like, and you're also talking about the tiny risk of your child breaking their leg or, you know, other things versus the near certainty that your child will be overweight, anxious, and less able to focus. So we, to prevent very, very small risks, I'm not saying there's no risk, mm. of course, freedom contains risks, but to prevent a very small risk, we're actually guaranteeing harm to our children, right? Which doesn't seem... To, and I totally understand why, it's, why, and it's an act of love. It's not the parents making these decisions are not doing them for any bad reason. They're doing them out of love for their child. Um, but yeah, no, and we definitely, we do, you know, we all agree. Is it, we all go to the park and we all do all of that stuff. But I hear what you're saying about it's different if they're on their own. That's the thing. If, if you're standing over them in the park, it's like the difference in the, the evidence, the research on this is really interesting. Um, and I interviewed lots of the scientists who've done really fascinating research on this, like uh, Dr. Isabel Benke at Oxford. So when you're standing over your kids enforcing the rules, or they know they can come to you to uphold the rules you don't get these benefits for attention, for Mm. resilience, for anxiety, because ultimately they don't have to figure it out for themselves. You're there to be the backstop, right? Um, It's a bit like the difference between processed food and nutritious food, Mm. right? So supervised play is like processed food and free play is is like nutritious food yeah. in terms of the benefits. I did I did love that bit in your book when you say actually unsupervised play is better for kids because my younger son he's really good at playing. My older son he needs a bit more direction, but the younger one he's he he doesn't come in and ask for a screen. He he will just drift off, get his Lego out, start doing Ghostbusters, all sorts. And sometimes I feel bad and I feel like oh I should go and. I should go and play with him and we should do some role play or I should help him make something or we should... But he's quite happy and I've got loads of shit to do. So I go, <laughs> oh, fuck it, mostly, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much for writing in your book that actually I'm so being a better mum. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a lot better. <laughs> I did think about Joe when <clears throat> when I was um, reading the book yesterday as well. Like, I just thought, he, he's he's got this world of wonder. Like, he's mm. there's so much delight in him and, and he gets so much from it as well. And it's not like you're going... Go off and be creative, Joe. It's just who he is. No, oh, yeah, he's always got these fucking comic books. Jesus Christ, he's prolific. Fuck me. <laughs> so many. Um, yeah, but my other son, I call children, all children are different. My other son is is different, and he does like... Um, Joe's got no interest in video games. And I will say, right, so I'm biased, right? So my background is video games. I'm, I'm a video games journalist, and that was my job before this. And I, I'm a streamer. I'm, I do Twitch and stuff, so all of that. And I've always played games since I was little. Um, and I, th- I think your book is missing a chapter on video games, Johan. I'll write I it for it's... you. Only £5,000. Because uh, <laughs> I, I, I was thinking that too, because I thought we could collaborate. Because you don't talk about dating apps in your book. You know, like yeah. the, the, yeah. the addiction things. Of... Yeah. But yeah. games specifically, because yeah. you, talk about, um, you talk about mastery and how that's important to our mental health, like being able to feel that you, you, you can master something, you can learn a system and you can, you can manage it and all of that. And flow, which is the thing where you, you do something that's just slightly above your ability and therefore it's challenging and therefore you're completely engaged with it. And you and hours can go by. We've all had this, right? Mm. Um, sometimes with work or just doing something really nice or having it off. Hours can go by where we don't <laughs> notice what time it is, or we sort of lose. Jesus, track of where we Sting are. is the only person I think does hours of having it off. Well, uh, oh, I'm j- I met him in 1992, uh, <laughs> and you're still having sex <laughs> yeah, right. at this very moment. He's actually under the sofa. Exactly. He's just <laughs> having a rest at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> <He's> just... exactly. <laughs> S- stop touching her, Sting. Get off her. <laughs> 
one floats like a butterfly, though. <laughs> um, so, yes. So, I honestly think... Now, I, again, I'm not saying that kids should be on video games all the time. I'm certainly not saying it's better than being outdoors or anything like that. But I think in a world where, like you say, many of us don't feel comfortable about letting our kids go out on their own for whatever reason, I think video games have an awful lot to offer. And I would rather my children played a video game than watched YouTube because I think that thing of you talk, you talk about on the book about attention, things like Snapchat and YouTube, your attention is being constantly like ping-ponged across this mm. net. No, I agree. With video yeah. games, you really can focus in and laser in. And I get flow with video games all the time. On Friday nights, I play God of War followed by a game called Mr. Driller where you're just a little man that has to drill down a <laughs> tunnel. And I get super into like the flow and it's to the point I just forget everything else and then I look at the chat on Twitch and five people have been having a conversation for like 10 minutes that I've not, you know. And I just think... Um, I think, yeah, I think there's something to be said for games. So I'm in favour of video games. And I think oh, it's interesting. Good. The way, um, for me, the way big tech wants this debate to be framed is are you pro tech or are you anti tech? And if it's framed like that, we'll go, well, I'm not going to give up my phone and my laptop. I'm not going to join the Amish. I guess I must be pro tech, right? That's not the debate. The debate isn't are you pro tech or anti tech. We're all pro tech, right? The debate is what tech designed with what goals, working in whose interests, right? So to get to the bottom of this, I interviewed a shitload of people in Silicon Valley who design key aspects of the world in which we live, right? And these are people who, like you, love tech. That's why they go into that industry, right? And they still love it. And yet they're guilty, sick with guilt, about something very specific about that's going on in Silicon Valley. Um, I remember there was one moment that really revealed this to me. There's a guy called Dr. James Williams who was working at the heart of Google, a really important figure and one day he's speaking at a tech conference where the audience are literally the people who design the stuff your kids are using right and he's and, he, and they're talking about some things they're uncomfortable with and he's which i'll come to and he said well if there's anyone here who wants to live in the world that we're creating with all these elements put up your hand now and nobody put up their hand not long afterwards he quit and became I that think, I, I listened to your book yesterday and i like audibly gasped like when mm. when I literally heard the word you're saying uh, yesterday I just went fuck that's so alarming and so scary and and also you know when they talk about like Steve Jobs not giving their kids iPads I'm like you can't now we're all, we're all addicted but you you wouldn't do that for your own children well it's really interesting to think about this because um what we want to get to is tech that works for us not against mm. us yeah. right so it's not the debate is not no tech versus tech, it's tech that works for us, not against us. And so to get there, I think you have to, for me anyway, I had to understand a few things I hadn't really understood. And it seemed to me, whether people kept explaining to me in Silicon Valley, I kept thinking it can't be this simple. So what they kept saying is, anyone listening, please don't. But if you open tech, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook now, they begin to make money out of you immediately in two ways. First way is really obvious. You start to see advertising, we all understand that. Second way is much more important. Everything you ever do on these apps, including in your so-called private messages, is scanned and sorted by their artificial intelligence algorithms to figure out... (laughs) Everything, mate. Every image you ever sent is on a server. It's the AI. It's not. It's not a little bloke in Silicon Valley. It's all right. uh, You're you're only being shamed by a robot. It's just the one nipple. (laughs) Well, this very aroused algorithm... (laughs) It's scanning everything you do, right? And it's doing that to figure out something very specific. Whether you're a whore. <laughs> we all know that, Ellie. I mean, the, the word the AI used was skank, but that's all right. Uh, skank you. Uh, it's, um, oh, wow. Oh, it's, it's, it's looking that's at your it. one nipple picture and it's figuring out... <laughs> What's something... wrong with this woman? Why wouldn't she put both nipples in the picture? Nobody wants to see one tit. Doesn't make any sense. Well, they're, they're fetishists. There's a, there's a whole fucking subculture on the internet to see on tip. Don't worry. They you love it. boob. Exactly. In addition to this grotesque perversion, what they want to find out, what they're trying to figure out is one thing, one key yeah. thing, which is what will keep you scrolling, right? And they're figuring that out for a very simple reason. Yeah. Every time you open the app and start to scroll, they begin to make money. Every time your kid opens the app and begins to scroll, they begin to make money. Mm. And every time you close the app, their revenue stream disappears. So all of that AI, all of their artificial intelligence, all of this genius in Silicon Valley is geared towards one thing and one thing only, which is figuring out 
how do we get you to open the app as, pos- as, as often as possible and scroll as long as possible, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember people kept explaining this to me. This is all we do. We figure out how to get people to scroll as long as possible. Yeah. And I kept going, well, it can't be that simple. And they look at me the way... I, <laughs> the only way I can think of it is... They looked at me like I was a sort of maiden aunt in a Jane Austen novel who only just discovered the existence of fingering, right? <laughs> they were like, they were like what, what did you think we did? Right? What, what, how did you think it worked? Right? The, and so, um, the, the, so the whole machinery is just like the head of KFC. All he cares about is how often did you go to KFC this week and how big yeah. was the bucket you bought? All of their technology is geared towards getting you to... to um, to log in as often as possible and scroll as long as possible. But the most important thing to understand is social media doesn't have to work that way. We can have all the social media we currently have, but have it work on different business models. There's a historical thing that happened that really helped me to get my head around one of the things I think we have to do now. Um, one of many things we have to do now. So you'll remember, right, I think we're all about the same age. You'll remember when we were kids, the only form of petrol, by far the most dominant, was leaded petrol, right? Mm-hmm. In Australia, Britain, everywhere in the world, right? Yeah. And it was discovered by scientists that exposure to lead fucks your brain and is particularly bad for children's ability to focus and pay attention, Mm. right? So um, by the time... And the lead industry denied it for years and years and years. But it got to the point where, obviously, if it's in petrol, everyone's breathing it in. It was really harming kids' brains. Mm. So by the late 70s, when the science just couldn't be denied anymore, a group of ordinary mums, people who used to call themselves housewives, banded together and said... Why are we allowing this? Why are we allowing these companies to fuck up our kids' brains, right? And crucially, they did not say, let's get rid of cars, let's get rid of petrol, right? Just like none of us are saying, get rid of tech. What they said is, let's deal with the specific element in the petrol that's Mm. so harming our children. So it followed the classic pattern of all successful political movements described by Gandhi. First, they ignored them. Then they laughed at them. Then they fought them. Then they won. Everyone knows we don't have any more leaded petrol anywhere in the world. As a result, the average child is three to five IQ points higher than they would have been had those mums not fought like hell for their children, right? Now, to me, it's a really good model for thinking about tech because they didn't say, let's get rid of everything. They said, let's deal with the specific element. And the specific element that's the equivalent of the lead in the lead paint is having a business model where the longer you scroll, the more money they make. We don't have to accept that any more than we have to accept leaded petrol, right? We can ban that business model and force them to move to other business models which exist in the world they're perfectly fair and reasonable we can do that we've got the power to do that but it requires a shift in consciousness right Mm. we need to stop blaming ourselves and our children when they can't focus or we can't focus and start getting angry with the forces that are doing this to us Hello, it's Ellie here. Now, if you like the sound of my voice, and I don't know, maybe you do, you listen to this podcast, I'm starting a new podcast and it's called Sort Your Shit Out. And it's all about finding a bit of balance, uh, starting with alcohol. The first series is all about booze because basically I've decided I'm a bit of a pisshead and I quite like to drink a bit less. Uh, so I've got an actual expert to help me out. She's called Stephanie Chivers and she knows loads about this sort of thing. And also I'll be talking to loads of other experts and authors and, you know, funny people and just having loads of chats about you know how to yeah drink a bit less find a bit more balance and sort your shit out the clues in the name isn't it have a listen if you like hope you like it and paul graham who's one of the biggest investors in silicon valley says the world is on course to be more addictive in the next 40 years than it was in the last 40 just think about how much more addictive tiktok is than facebook so now imagine the next crack like iteration of tiktok in the metaverse, yeah. or indeed, because right? you you wanted to talk about dating apps. Yeah, no, I I was going to say just because of um, you know I became single three years ago, and so I the first one of the first things I did um, becoming single was go on to a dating app, which I hadn't done ever, and it is addictive. It's completely addictive because of the hope. You're like the next swipe, the next swipe will be the guy, the next swipe, and I once went uh, sat down and I counted how many times I had to swipe through pretty not so great guys until I there was even one that I would even consider dating and it probably was between 100 and 150 blokes so Mm -hmm. so and then um because if you if you're in that app long enough we my other single friends say you just get all the guys you're really not interested in so if you log out and start up again then you get all the hot guys there's something about the algorithm that you the longer you're in there like the least likely you're going to match with these particular particular dudes it's so funny because um heterosexual women are obviously a lot of my friends 
have such a different experience of dating apps. So what it would be if you were gay, a gay yeah. man like yeah. me, you would log in, you'd see a, a person who's, you go, is this person possibly attractive? Yes. They would send you a picture of their penis. Yeah. <laughs> they would send you a picture of their address. You would say, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Yeah. Right? That's okay. it. Oh no, that goes oh, on no, as well. No, that goes on. I know, but like more for gay men. <laughs> yeah, than, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, that's and, the dominant man. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's familiar. Maybe not 10 minutes. I've got to shave. Um, <laughs> me 25 um yeah i think but yeah for the first time uh in nearly three years i deleted all my dating profiles on sunday and it was strange and uh because you found someone or because because i found someone yeah but also i just yeah i and i hadn't i I deleted them but i hadn't deleted my account and for ages, I would ke- I kept the accounts because I'd go back and I'd look. Oh, going, oh, that was a really nice date, and I'd read the text messages and get the flutter and the dopamine hits of like, oh, he, you know, da da da. And then now there all those all those interactions, all that history have have disappeared because I used to think, oh, but I remember when I got that hot young guy, or remember when I fucked that guy, or whatever. Yeah. And now that's all gone. And that's where I think maybe it is different for gay men because for, for you it is all about sex whereas for you I think there was an emotional element to yeah, that of course. as well because about, about self esteem yes it was about rebuilding and it was yeah. about that and exploration and who I was and how I was different and how yeah and like the first, <laughs> the first time we got sent a dick pic was like in the afternoon and this guy just sent me through and I didn't know how to react I hadn't seen a, another penis you know in 22 years I went oh isn't that lovely <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's interesting because I think Part of the effect of it's a lovely um, job on that. Yes. <laughs> well oh. done. Oh, is it, is Congratulations. It, is, he, I, is he crying? <laughs> but I think that dynamic, right? That I think it relates to a wider thing that's happening to all of us. That I'm interested in thinking about how it plays out in the romantic arena. Um, so I'll just, if it's okay, I'll just explain a little yeah, bit yeah. of the science of it because then we can think about how it relates to that. Because I suspect it does. I might be wrong. Um, so I went to MIT to interview one of the leading neuroscientists in the world, a guy called Professor Earl Miller. Did he show you his penis? Tragically not, because he's hot. Oh, damn I, it! I would have been <laughs> fucking thrilled, but sadly, no. Uh, selfishly, he kept it to himself. Oh, that was a waste uh, of a day. Uh, he, he said to me, um, you've got to understand one thing about the human brain more than anything else. You could only consciously think about one or two things at a time. That's it. Yeah. This is a fundamental limitation of the human brain. The human brain has not changed significantly. Yeah. I underline this in your book because we've always been told as women it's all about multitasking. You've got to multitask. You've got to do all these, all this shit. But you're saying no. That's 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 a fucking nightmare. It, well, it's another myth that yeah. the patriarchy tells women to fuck them over. I think. But yeah. the the the, the it, what's happened is that we've fallen for a kind of mass delusion. Teenagers, the average teenager believes they can follow six or seven balls of media at the same time. Adults are not that far behind them. So what happens? is scientists, uh, like Professor Miller, scientists all over the world, they get people into labs and they get them to think they're doing more than one thing at a time. And they monitor them. And what they discover is always the same. You can't do more than one thing at a time. What you do is you juggle. So you're like, what did Bob just ask me? What is this message on WhatsApp? What is this message on Facebook? What does it say on the TV there? Wait, Bob, what? What were you asking me again? So we're constantly juggling. And it turns out that juggling comes with a really big cost. The fancy term for it is the switch cost effect. When you try and do more than one thing at a time, you do all the things you're trying to do much less competently. You make more mistakes. You remember less of what you do. You're much less creative. It's a really big effect. There's a small study, for example, backed by wider evidence that found um, it's twice as bad for your intelligence in the short term as getting stoned, being constantly interrupted. You'd be better off smoking a spliff than being constantly interrupted, right? Um, I need uh, to get some weed. (laughs) But this is why Professor Miller says we're living in this kind of perfect storm of cognitive degradation as a result of being constantly interrupted. And I'm curious about, I think there's a sort of emotional interruption. Hmm. I felt it myself dating when you're with people and it's constantly at the back of your mind. What about the other person? What about the other person? What about the other person? Hmm. Now, having romantic choice is a good thing, right? I don't want us to go back to living in a village and, you know, there's one person you get to fuck when you're 17 and you stay with them forever. It's not what I'm in favour of. But I think there's a thing about um, we're almost doing an equivalent of emotional multitasking. You're always keeping the tab open yeah. in a way that I suspect undermine. I felt it myself. It undermines. You'll meet someone. He's really nice, attractive. And you're just like, ah, 
but there's these 10 other people, right? Yeah. Uh, in a way that I suspect 20 years before, I wouldn't have had that. Yeah. Uh, it may, I could be wrong about that. And there isn't research, to my knowledge, on dating apps relating oh. to this specific question. But I think it, it, it... But the other thing is just that, you know, romance is a form of deep attention, right? One of the thrills of when you get together with someone is that they're, you're paying attention to them, they're paying attention to you. Mm. And in an environment where attention is fragmented is going to be an environment yeah. where that's harder to achieve romance, right? Mm. And, um, you know, in a sea of dick pics, a love story is going to be... <laughs> that's well, a really bad sentence I've got. Yeah. There we book. go. We've, yeah, but... we've got your new book for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Joanne Hari's uh, Dating this... and Video Games, <laughs> colon, a sea of dick pics. Exactly. Uh, will be out spring 2024. Oh, Can't wait to read it, mate. Um, and I'm happy to read the audio book for you. That's oh, absolutely thank fun. you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, I know, you've got to, I know you've got to go and do another podcast, you big slag. But, um, I'm a podcast uh, hoe. Quick, quick, quick gank, apparently. <laughs> Um, Such a good word, Skank. So good. Um, and I know, I know you're not a mum, Johan. But before, not yet. Go, not yet. I'm still holding out hope. <laughs> um, do you have a scummy mummy confession to share? Do you have one for this episode? Yeah, I, 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 I <laughs> want to, It's more of a top tip, really. Um, I was just about to um, go on a flight to Australia, and I was. Uh, Conscious that I don't sleep on plane, and also conscious that I was very constipated. So I went mm. to Boots and I said, "Oh, can I have some laxatives and something to help me sleep?" This is literally the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> and so, and then I was like, "Yes," because I'm, I'm so tired. She and always does something stupid at airports. Yeah, guys, foundation. Could you give something that makes me both uncon? <laughs> could you help me be unconscious and shit myself? <laughs> is what you said to the person in Boots. Look, you're ruining the punchline. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I think we all know where it's going. Yeah, oh, God. It's not exactly. It's not Chris Rock here. We've got it. You're going to shit yourself while I've got There's a twist. <laughs> so I didn't poo myself, but I did. Oh. I did. Um, I did have that thing where I like got on the on the plane, had my red wine. I thought, oh yes, I'll take two of the sleeping pills and two of the laxatives. And then I and then it was only five minutes, and I went, what the fuck have I done? So I started getting sleepy, and then I think I'm going to poo myself, but. I did not poo myself, but my top oh, tip is... That was the twist. Yes. Oh, it's like the sixth sense. <laughs> the poo stayed in. Uh, and I did go to sleep. But I, I, but I was More very like the nervous. game. Yes. <laughs> don't take a sleeping pill and a laxative at the same time. That, I, I don't think that needed to be yeah, said. That's, that's, the, okay. that's the most redundant piece of advice. <laughs> don't jump off buildings. Yes. Don't put your head in a fire. Don't, don't eat your own shit. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's that's wow. Oh my god! Is your advice normally this golden? (laughs) (laughs) What can I tell you? Use toilet paper. Anyway, um, (laughs) Johan. Yes. Well, words of wisdom. Well, I think one of the most shameful moments in my life was the time the Dalai Lama called me fat. 
Oh, oh no! Yeah. He was a fucking bitch. Oh. Um, so I interviewed... Oh, well, I'm just saying I've met him as well. He didn't call me fat. Really? Mm. Because you're not fat. <laughs> <laughs> and, to be, and to be fair... Oh, my God! No, I was. To be in your defence, I was very fat at the time. Oh. But it was awful. Oh, so basically... Oh, just dying. <laughs> that's... OK, I'm, uh, I'm going to storm out in a minute, but that's all right. The, I was specifically you, and then I realised... Yeah, now we know! <laughs> it's fine. Thank you for mocking so my obesity. Sorry. No, um, you're not fat. But he's wrong. I was very fat at the time, to be fair. So I was a baby journalist, right? And I, I was, that must have been like 25, and I got sent to into the Dalai Lama. It was absurd. And I, and, you know, I thought when you interview a pa- although obviously I agree with the Dalai Lama on like opposing the Chinese occupation of Tibet, I was like, you know, if you're going to interview a powerful person, you should challenge them, right? You should ask them difficult questions as well as the things you agree about. So I looked it up. And he, he's got some dodgy views. He mm. thinks disabled people are being punished for what they did in a previous life. He's yeah. very anti-gay. You shouldn't use the other holes as an actual quote from the Dalai Lama. Um, I so, mean, you know, and I agree with that as a heterosexual what? woman, but oh. that's the story for another okay, time. You're atta- attacking my hobbies now, but <laughs> as well as calling me fat. When I'm interviewing him, like the first 20 minutes were like, you know, agreeing and I'm asking about things I know. You're doing like. the sandwiching. You do the exactly. nice bit. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, and then I start asking him the more difficult questions and, he started pretending he didn't speak English. He goes like, I, uh, I don't understand this, this question. And I'm like, I know you speak English. I've literally just seen you give a speech in English. Like, you understood all my other... And I'm oh sort of pushing God. him and pushing him. And he's literally just... And his sort of goons, I assume that's not their official title, but <laughs> his sort of people are giving me these dirty looks. And I thought, oh, fuck, you know, I'm meant to have an hour with him. I thought they might throw me out. So I thought I'll bring it back to something where we agree. So I said, you know, Your Holiness, you've been very critical of income inequality in the West. And he said, yeah, I don't see why people need so much money. We each only have one stomach. Then paused and said, except you. You clearly have at least three. And I'm sitting there thinking, the Dalai Lama is meant to love blades of grass and stones. Oh my God. And he is fat shaming. And it wasn't He's my... just accused you of basically being a cow. It, it, literally, it wasn't my finest journalistic hour. I said, well, you're quite fat as well. <laughs> And after I wrote about this, I got the world. It was horrendous. It was so awful. And fair enough. It was, fair enough. He, to be fair, he was fatter than me. Yeah. Right? Okay. And when it was all over, I he wrote this up. Top trumps. He wins. I, exactly. And when 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 it was all over, I wrote about this, and I got the world's first ever Buddhist death threat, which I was very proud of. Wow. And I got to write back and go, "You're going to have at least two lives as a woodlouse, you cunt." <laughs> Before what you've just said to me, it was, um, oh. so yeah, it was, but it's, it's hard when a, a living God fat shames you. It's not a pleasant experience. No, no that's oh, not nice. I'm sorry that, no. ha- I'm sorry that happened to you. No, Especially from that fat cunt. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm like, fucking China invade again. <laughs> Crush them. Well, thank you. What a wonderful story. Amazing. Hooray. And thank you so much uh, for writing your excellent book, Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention. I'm showing it to the microphone so people can see I'm it. I'm also meant to say, this is this wanky thing that my publishers tase me if I don't say, if you want to find out what Oprah, Hillary Clinton, and lots of other people said about the book, you can go to stolenfocusbook.com and you can find out where to get the audiobook, the ebook. But more importantly, you can Ooh, listen. I free. promise you will... I don't promise. Okay, sorry. <laughs> about to do Oprah's quote about my book, which is very nice. Every now and then, Oprah texts me and my friend, and every time I literally shit myself, I'm just like, shut up, everyone! Oprah's talking! Shut up! <laughs> like, I can't believe Oprah read your book and said a nice thing about it. She invited me to her house. It was literally like. Uh, <gasps> Did you go? Did you go? Of course. No. I said, no, Oprah, I'm busy. <laughs> yes, I went to her fucking house. What was it like? The thing is, it's very hard for me to talk about this because I was literally. My entire teenage years, my primary obsession was Oprah, right? Yeah, like, me too, me ev- too. I even watched Dr. Phil. That's how yeah, serious yeah, I was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and Ricky Lake. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it sounds really arrogant and weird, but it, in a way it doesn't surprise me that Oprah liked it because so much of my way of talking like actually comes from Oprah, right? Like You're Oprah, a white gay Oprah. That's exactly. what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, can I put that on the front of yes. my book? The next <laughs> it's like a white gay <clears> Oprah, Ellie Gibson. Exactly. And, and it sounds a really odd thing to say, but I, I've become friends with Oprah, which was really odd. <gasps> And, um, Have you got a phone number? Yeah, she does. Oh my god! Yeah. Done. It's, done. <laughs> it's really strange because he can actually, never leave your house. He, can never, he can't leave. I know it sounds like in a way quite obvious to say, but she's literally one of the two cleverest people I've ever met. Like she's so clever. She's it's interesting because when you get to know her, she's not warm and camp. What she is is very clever 
and and quite watchful mm, and, yeah. and and very insightful. Um, and I really love her. She's amazing. Well, thanks again yeah. for coming on the podcast and thanks for giving us Oprah's phone number. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send her a gif of herself later. That's all I do. I just text Oprah gifts of herself. Do you like this one? I found this one. This one's fun, isn't it? That's all I do. I'm so envious. Congratulations. That's brilliant. Oh, as always, if you want tickets to our live shows, do go to scummymummies.com. We've got some massive shows coming up in Catford. We're going up to Lincoln. We're going all over the place. We are going kettering. In Lincoln, are you going to vandalise the Margaret Thatcher statue? Like, oh, I do hope so. Yes. Thank you so much. Could thank you. I enjoyed it. it. It is an absolutely excellent book. It's out on paperback now. Um, I. Can't recommend it enough. I've already been telling everyone to read it today. Oh, thank you. Uh, and it was, and it's a joy to listen to on the audiobook as well. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Bye bye. One thing that really helped me to understand this was a historical. Uh, phone. Oh, <laughs> so ironically, is there anywhere we can? Or is it you? Is it oh no, it's mine. It, um, is uh, it your updates? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, the irony. The fucking irony. No, it was. <laughs> My editor from Penguin. I'll just I'll just turn it offline. That's is that better? I'll go off the internet. Is that yeah, how I do yeah, that? Yeah. That's literally the whole fucking point of our conversation. Oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. The um. I'll continue. The um. <laughs> she just wanted to do that so she could say it's my editor from Penguin. Also, well, this is a great illustration of the yeah. principle that if you're interrupted. It fucks up your attention. Exactly. There's a study that showed that if you're interrupted by something as simple as a text message, yeah. it takes you on average 23 minutes to get back to the level of focus you had before you were interrupted. Right, but most well, of us... The, the clock starts now. <laughs> <laughs> well, most of us never get 23 minutes, right? So we're constantly operating at this lower level of um, attention. But yeah, so... Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.